This is episode number 28 with Josh Spring. I'm Patrick Jones. You're listening to The Road to the Show. And on this episode, we go over Josh's career. He was drafted out of high school, um, played a few years in the minor leagues. And then despite putting up really good numbers and not being injured as a pitcher, which was is pretty rare, he decided to retire. And he gets into why he decided to retire and how he regrets it every single day. Um, some really valuable lessons that I think anybody can can take from this episode. Josh is currently a pitching instructor and knows a ton about pitching. We go over some mechanics and some of his philosophies. So I think this episode is really valuable, whether you're a player, a coach, a fan, it doesn't matter. I think you can take something from this episode and it could hit home for you. So I think everyone will will get a, a good kick out of this episode. And without further ado... Here's Josh Spring. What's up, everybody? This is Patrick Jones. You're listening to The Road to the Show. Today we have on the baseball whisperer, the pitching the pitching guru, Josh Spring. How's it been going, man? It's been going great. I'm happy to see you have this show now, Pat. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I've been actually I follow you on Snapchat, and I've been seeing uh, you know, you got like a recording studio in yeah. your basement, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And you perform sometimes too, right? Uh, yeah, we've had the opportunity to perform out a couple times. It's a uh, well, first the group plug is uh, ears first E1, and it's me and another coach Rick Pate. We did the Flames together for a bunch of summers, and found out we both like music, and so we had two man project we put together. We played out the Mad Frog, and then actually we're going to play out Chameleon Northside January 7th, plug. So, uh, And that's uh, earsfirst.com, right? Yeah, earsfirst.com. Thanks. Uh, how'd you, so you, you like doing that, and then you also have people that like, come over and like record at your studio, too. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, when you're a coach, a lot of us have secondary uh, occupations, and mine uh, has turned into recording people. Um, in my basement studio, I've collected some equipment. Um, some knowledge and I like to get guys down there myself also record that's how I learned doing my own Um, but you know it seems a lot of people it seems hard but it's not and it's a lot easier if you just come in put headphones on and then just point to me when you're ready Um, if you bring your own music it's great or you know we can go over a few like garage band beats and decide what you like is that is that help you get away from baseball since you're coaching all the time absolutely and I do it on Fridays typically for that reason I've worked all week and I just want to you know, get my head in some other space. So when I come back to work on Saturdays and Sundays, and especially in the summer, um, it's nice because everything can get really compacted. That's pretty cool. And and I kind of want to transition like now into specifically baseball. And I think you're you're pretty interesting because you were a tenth round pick out of high school, and you stopped playing at age 22. Even though we were just talking before we started recording, even though you're still throwing like 95, yeah. 94, 95. Um, in high school, did you, was there like a ton of attention on you from like, you know, that your entire senior year or like, well, how was that? How did that draft process roll around? Thanks for the grapefruit, Pat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at Lebanon, you know, it's a small school still is, but much smaller than, so I moved here from Texas and I started playing my sophomore year of baseball in Ohio and my sophomore year, uh, the first game I pitched, um, one hitter, 15 strikeouts, two for four with a bomb. So that got got a bunch of attention early for me, and then after that, I was able just to keep keep it up, keep good performances up, build some confidence, um, watch some of the older guys on my summer team and how they went about their business. Um, I was raw but hungry. I I never wanted to be anything 
besides a baseball player from when I was when people asked me what I wanted to do. So I was very focused on all that then. Um, all the way, I even had like hate mode. I'd get in before my starts, like don't talk to me. Yeah, my players. Um, I call it focus, but they call it hate mode. So, and then you ended up. So was it was the signing like bonus? Is that was it way different back then where you got more leeway in terms of negotiations since you were coming out of high school, or what was it like back then? Um, well, leading up to the draft, I was getting calls how they do now, kind of, but you know on landlines <laughs> and uh i was getting calls saying you know from the reds uh, the brewers um and the astros uh saying hey we're looking at you fourth or fifth round and so at that point we talked and it wasn't me and my dad it's just me and my my uh parents weren't really involved in baseball that much so uh, but they were like hey we're talking this this kind of money and at the time fourth or fifth round money was 40 50 grand signing bonus plus eight semesters of whatever school you had your scholarship to paid for. And so when I waited around, I was getting calls, and that's what I thought. And then in the day of, day one, back then, day one, you got 10 rounds in. Um, day one, I was waiting, and you know, I don't know, we didn't know when it started or whatever, but I stayed at home because I was excited. And then I got a call, and it was the Astros, and it was 10th round. And so I was disappointed, a um, little bit of a spoiled kid at that point because I thought I'd done enough. I didn't know anything about how it worked, but, you know, I felt like I deserved something better than 10th. But I got 10th, and then the negotiation started, and they said, uh, that's twenty five grand and no college. And I was like, then I'm not signing. Thank you very much. And he's like, well, can we come talk to you? So they sent a guy to come into my house named Kevin Stein, um, and he's passed RIP, great guy. But um, he came over and negotiated, and we got to the, the forty grand at that in 1991 and eight semesters of college i'm done um i also like to give a shout out um to scooter Jeanette's dad joe Jeanette. he's who found me in lebanon and turned me into the astros so i don't know you know how much he had to do with it afterwards but he was there for my signing and he was there at a bunch of my games so i just wanted to say thanks to him when i get this opportunity here because he's played a big role in getting my start that's pretty cool. I didn't know Scooter Jeanette's dad. Is yeah. he still scouting? And I don't know. I don't know. He. Li- I don't. I don't know right yeah. now. So um, did you end up take advantage of the the college scholarship that MLB? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I end up. Um, I end up going for ten semesters, and they paid for eight, so I paid for two on my own. But that's still um, not bad compared. Yeah. To- no, I got my um, bachelor's degree in philosophy, um, ethics philosophy, process philosophy at uh, North Texas, um, just north of Dallas in Denton, Texas. So. Everyone's minor league uh, stories are a little bit different and the same. You know, everyone's experience um, can kind of go, you know, both ways. Um, what was your minor league experience like? Would you, I mean, would, do you still have like a bitter taste in your mouth um, about the minor leagues? I was just I, had, I was talking to, to Craig Stammer earlier today. He's yeah. like, dude, honestly, like the minor leagues, like I doubted myself so many times in the minor leagues. Like oh, it's wake, such a I, character I, test. Yeah, you just wake up doubting. Yeah. And I went. I and I went out of high school, which for me was a mistake because my mom didn't work. She did everything for me, cooked, cleaned. You know, I was very fortunate that way. And so when I got to pro ball, which is what I thought I wanted, I didn't even know you play in the daytime in rookie ball out of high school. So I got there and was like, what? Show up at eight for what? (laughs) And then all of a sudden we're playing at noon every day in front of nobody. Aluminum stands, no shade, um, fighting over hot soup and sandwiches, you know, so it was a it was a big big difference than what I expected, and even what my uh, head Astro scout had told me 
wasn't this, wasn't what it was when I got there. If, if anything, I should have gone to college just to get seasoned, like to get bombed on a little bit, you know. Or were you signed to go anywhere for college? Uh, uh, full ride to Ohio State. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So it was, I mean, I had a lot of options, but I wanted to stay close around because uh, family, my parents, um, my dad was uh, not able to watch me a bunch in high school. And I was hoping, you know, that would, that would blossom more. So that's why I picked it. Um, and then, I, but I didn't go. So. Yeah. Did, were you throwing like 90, you know, 94, 95 coming right, coming out of high school into that rookie ball? Yeah, I was, I was not, I was topped out. Um, sad, but I never threw that. I got told never threw over 95 from, and I hit that my junior year in the summer and then of high school. And then I never got told I threw any harder, but I also didn't throw below much either. I kind of stayed right there. I was yeah. able to hold my velocity a lot. Um, I would give credit to knowing Ryan Roger Clemens regimen. That's where I got my mechanics. My almost everything was those Texas boys. So. What's that? What's their mechanics like for like, what do you, how do you translate that? I would say that for them, it's staying on that back leg. Um, traditionally called drop and drive, but it's way more complex than that anymore. I mean, but the bottom line is that you get your power from your lower half and your top half is like the whip and the kinetic chain. Okay, so your velocity is coming from your lower half. Yeah, that's where you generated it, and that's where you work on strength, and that's where your endurance and all that. And your top half, try to keep flexible um, and really work on grip strength is what they focused on in their books a lot. Okay, I gotcha. So you ended up playing with, with the Astros, and then you played indie ball too. Yep. That was like, like when was, how old were you, 21 then, 20? Uh, yeah, I turned 21 that year. And so did you get released and then go to indie ball? Yeah, I got released on uh, the la- in 1994 spring training – the last day of spring training we went out for group stretch and jack billingham a famous red was in my was my leader my stretch leader guy and he came out and pulled me aside and he told me because he's like the director can be kind of brutal i just wanted to tell you i thought you deserved it i'm calling you out because they're going to release you and i was shocked i mean i had just come off a good season uh in, in up in uh new york I was the youngest pitcher in the league. I had like a three and a half ERA. The the manager at the time, Manny Acta, uh, who went on to be a big league manager. Oh, he was your manager at the time. Yeah, ninety three. Oh, wow. um, Billy Wagner was on that team. Shout out. And uh, so he, you know, they all told me my exit stuff. Like, hey, it's looking good. Lose a little bit of weight. Come in at this weight. So I did, and I came in at like ten pounds under the suggested weight, and got the award for actually uh, biggest turnaround from the season for body shape and all that stuff. They. They did, and then three days later, they released me after that. So What? Yeah, so I was shocked, and there was nowhere to go. At that time, you couldn't get online. There's not a lot of that stuff. It's all phone calls. So I shopped around. I didn't have an agent, mistake, and did it all myself. Could get no one to look at me, so I went to independent league tryouts, which were kind of a new thing popping up, and tried out for the Northern League and Texas-Louisiana League, and then chose the Texas-Louisiana League because it was in the South, and I preferred that for the weather being a pitcher. Um, and that was actually better competition than I had had in organizational baseball. Those guys at the time were a bunch of double and triple A hitters that just didn't have a spot or were just fresh out of the league. And uh, it was it was very competitive. Um, I'd say the stats in that league are hilarious, though, for everybody. Like who did the books and who gave hits or, or oh, who, yeah, who, yeah. who gave all that stuff is like so crazy to me that I get frustrated. Um, so I just stopped looking at papers and stuff, but it taught me like it, it hardened me up quite a bit. Like what I would expect college would have done. 
those three years of being young and in the minors and then indie ball, I'd say those really did it for me. So, um, but you ended up making it back to affiliated ball, which is you know pretty tough uh, in the independent leagues. Um, what was what was that like? Did they call you like after your independent season, be like, "Hey, you got your numbers, you know, you're back. You know, we've got someone we were watching you." Or how did that? How did you get ended up being signed to back to affiliated ball? Um, after the season, the independent season was over, and I went back home and tried to make a game plan. Um, I was living in Dallas area, so I went to the winter meetings and tried to meet a bunch of people and get signed or get get uh, at least interviews or something. Nothing came out of that. So I went to Florida, made five tryouts on my own calling, and I went to the Blue Jays tryout as my first one. And these are just open tryouts. Uh, the, they had 503 people show up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, out of, long story short, out of 503 people, they kept uh, me and a position player and everyone else, no thanks. Um, partially, I'd say in that story, I broke a catcher's thumb um, on the side mounds, and that kind of got me in the game because I, you know, I still had velo, and that, as you know, plays well at tryouts. So um, yeah, I got signed to the Blue Jays, a really nice minor league contract, and um, then there was two months until spring training, and I was sitting pretty. Yeah, and then you ended up getting like with the Blue Jays reported to spring training. Um, and what happened that upcoming year? It wasn't the, the player strike was that year, right? Yeah, the player strike was in 94 while I was in indie ball, so it didn't really affect me. But then when I was trying to get picked up and, and did by the Blue Jays, um, at some point they decided to divide their camp into replacement players and and the rest, minor leaguers. And I was new, a new signee. They put me with the replacement players. And I said, you know, I wasn't comfortable doing that. I didn't want to do that. And they said, well, we can just cancel that contract. You can go pick up with someone else if you want to do that. Well, it had been two months since I tried out, and that just wasn't the option for me. So I picked, all right, I'll take I'll take it on the shins and go be a replacement player and see where this leads. And I was in replacement spring training for the whole time until the midnight hour when they canceled the strike. Um, otherwise, I was flying to Seattle as the big league closer for the Blue Jays. Um, but they canceled you know, the strike, and they, they started, I think, a week late that year. And everybody on replacement spring training got sent home and released except me. And they sent me to high A with Dunedin. And I had a great season, actually. So I felt, again, rejuvenated. I'm back in there, organizational baseball. And I put up, like a, I think, a 1-1-8 or something very close to that for the half. And then I got sent to low A because of that with no, no reason why. And that's the frustrating part. You're bringing up about the minor leagues. It's just like I didn't know why. I had done the job. The numbers were there. Velo's good, all that stuff, but they, they moved me down. So after that season, I was 22, as you mentioned. After that season was over, I just didn't go back. I got my letter for spring training in January from the Blue Jays, and I didn't even tell them I wasn't coming back. I just detached from baseball. I was really, I guess, upset about the whole situation. So I stopped, and I never went back. I thought I'd take a year off and then get back, but I started up college, and, and I never went back, man. Do you regret not going back? Every hour of my life. Really? Yep. That's crazy. I mean, so for you have any advice for, for players out there who, I don't know, not necessarily in the minor leagues, but who are looking, well, maybe I'm not good enough to continue to play. Like, are you? do you think that they everyone should play until they, they make them rip that jersey off your back? That's what I was going to say right there, yeah. man. Play until someone takes that jersey off your back. Put yourself out there. Make sure that you've wrung your sponge out and nobody wants anything to do with you anymore. Um, I left, in my opinion, early. Again, I'm not saying I would have made it anything, but 
I didn't even get the opportunity to give myself a chance because I quit on me. And that's, that's a terrible feeling to look back. You know, I'm 44 now and I'm looking back and I quit on me. So I try to get across to everybody I coach, teach, instruct, don't give up on yourself. Let everybody else, but you don't give up on you. You don't know what they're looking for. It's just a fit. And I didn't know what organization was the best fit for me and I gave up. But I know guys that had harder paths than I did through slower, et cetera, but they never gave up. They took their lumps. They went to low A and stayed there. They didn't complain. Um, and they made it at least to like get taste of triple A or maybe a cup of coffee. One of my friends got a cup of coffee with the Astros, like three innings, but he stayed with it. And, uh, you know, I applaud those people. I did not have the stick with itness, and uh, it haunts me. How old were you when you uh, started regretting not going back? How many years after? Uh, I'd say that's a good question, Pat. I'd say I I didn't want anything to do with baseball for probably three, five years. I didn't want to watch the Rangers or Reds or anything. I was just bitter. But that was also my immaturity at that time, too. So I'd say I started wanting to, to get back in and started looking into like city leagues or just starting to play or be around it again four or five years afterwards. It was a while, though, man. Yeah, because you were oh, – shoot, that's crazy. Because, yeah, you were just so young. I mean, 22, yeah. most got I me. Mean, that's when guys are coming out of college. Yeah, yeah, I know. And But, again, I didn't have people around me saying anything about here's how it normally goes, here's what you should do. I thought, hey, man, I could do this on my own. I know what I'm doing. And I just – I should have uh, sought out a support network of some kind, asked people who'd been through it, um, but I didn't, so – and then ever since then, you've been coaching, or was it you took that five years off and then slowly got into coaching? And- yeah, um, coaching happened. I got back into coaching, like this eight-year-old team in Texas for uh, a friend of mine's son, and then I realized like that teaching the game filled me up in some way that I'd been missing. It wasn't the same as playing the game, but it's a different thing. And so, yeah, they were eight-year-olds, but it started having that symbiotic feeling that you get that's just... I don't know. Some people like it, I guess, and some people don't, but I, I thrive off of it. So when I realized that, I was like, all right. And I started coaching in the Denton area, just helping out where I could, not for money, just to uh, get my degree and then helping Little League or um, high school. And uh, then when we moved to Ohio, I started coaching at Lebanon High School, varsity assistant, and got on with uh, champions as an instructor with Ted Power. And uh, I think Jeff Gatch was the manager at the time with the GM up there but that was 04 and then I've been coaching in this area or and instructing privately since then steady so I mean did you ever think about coaching in college or professionally uh I did about college yeah um but once you get into instructing around here and you get steady business uh the coaching at the college level at least in this area and I, I was done with wanting to move around a bunch I was an air force kid so I moved around plenty and I was ready to settle down here in this area so um the hours versus the pay for me wasn't evening out versus my instruction, what was happening. And then as far as being the pro instructor, like the road life, um, I was just over that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I've heard that before too. Um, coach, what, who do you like watching? Like when, when you uh, watch MLB teams, you know, play, like what pitchers do you like more than, uh, more than others? I would say the current guys right now. Yeah. I would say I love to watch Max Scherzer. Um, I know that's a pick and cherries there because he won the Cy Young, but everything he does is from attitude to execution to pregame to at, to just 
I mean, there isn't a thing he said that I don't agree with how he goes at hitters. Um, we're not friends, me and the hitters. You know, pitchers and hitters aren't friends in the game. So I like how he goes about it. Clayton Kershaw, another guy who takes it seriously. He does shadow work. He's a great guy to watch for the young guys because he does all his pregame stuff, even though he's a multiple Cy Young winner. Um, I mean, they're doing, there's guys out there, big league pitchers that are all-stars, Jake Arrieta, that do more work than high school or college kids who want to be them. And these guys are working harder. And to me, that's the cognitive dissonance that occurs in guys that are wannabes and pretenders trying to get there and the guys that really are doing the things it takes to get there. You should be working harder than the big leaguers. What, mo- what specifically should they be working on? Um, they should be working on their mechanics. They should be doing mirror pitching. I'm talking about pitching. Yeah, yep. uh, mirror reps, videotape yourself, have someone that you can trust next to you to tell you things in your mechanics that you know are wrong. Like Jake Arrieta will have someone there while he does it. He doesn't just throw by himself. Um, obviously, the big league level, they have uh, more tools, video tools. But nowadays anymore, you can find that. You can videotape yourself. There's apps. Um, but you got to be self-propelled, self-starter. Um, you can't expect anyone to motivate you. And I know you personally have a bunch of motivation inside or you, st- you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. I mean, you've had to do that. So from a first-person perspective, we both know like nobody helps you in the minors. No one says, hey, man, you can do it. Um, you kind of get over your self-doubt and just constantly put that foot forward every day you wake up. It's got to be you. It's got to be from you. Um, otherwise, it's hollow. Yeah. When you're working with players, um, are there specific mechanics for each player, or when you're, or is it you have like a baseline, like what you believe in, and then try to implement that for each pitcher that you work with? Um, I would say it's not the same for every kid or player. I'd say for me that I like to watch them play catch first. Just play catch how you would, and that shows me a natural arm slot. And then I work. That would be my starting point. Oh, that's the person's natural arm slot. And then I'll work in uh, things that maximize that arm slot's um, potential, whether it's it needs more arm speed, whether it's uh, hand position. Um, the thing that is kind of the same for everybody is how we're going to generate lower half power. But, I mean, that's... How do you, how do you get more arm speed? Um, you get more arm speed by having your... Without... I mean, you can use weighted ball training. That is probably the best way. Um if you're not, if you don't have weighted balls or you're not confident in that, you can do it just by getting your glove side out quicker, and that'll make your backside come through quicker. So a lot of people put the front side on cruise, and their arms late, and they drag through a lot. I'd say getting those hands apart and getting that glove out leading quickly um, with intent will increase your arm speed quite a bit on its own. And then the drills that, that will increase arm speed vary going from the weighted ball programs that are out and kind of all the rage right now um, to band work, um, anything where you're teaching those quick twitches to fire and what's a, a comfortable pace instead of maybe what you're used to get out of your comfort zone. And so the lower half, where does where does that come into play in terms of, you know, you're, you're working on your front side, um, you got your arm speed going. Um, how much should you be thinking of your of your back leg driving when you're pitching, when you're throwing? Well, tricky question. You shouldn't be thinking about it at all, Pat. True. But what you should be what you should be working on in your bullpens and your practice work is that staying tall on your backside, meaning that you the top of your head is as tall as it's going to be, and then from that point, you want to collapse your knee and think about putting your kneecap in front of your big foot that's on the rubber. So your plant leg 
you want to have your knee in front of your big toe, driving it into the turf. That is the compact that we need. But a lot of the issue we get is kids under, players understand that, and then as they compress, then when they go to the plate, they uncompress and come up and lose nearly everything and also makes the ball, everything be higher and head up and everything. So when you compress, you want to compress and maintain that strength that you've got, that potential energy that you've crushed down into your thigh and glute, and then keep that line of power to, directly to the plate without coming up in an arc. And that's how you're going to keep the strength that you've created by collapsing that backside. That's pretty in-depth answer, answer right there. I like that. <laughs> um, how much does you know lifting heavy for your legs play a role in, um, in using your lower half to throw harder? Um, there's different kinds of lifting for your legs. What pitchers want to be doing is explosive lifting, um, uh, grabbing down in a deadlift situation and then just exploding up in a jump, uh, squats, um, anything that your glutes, quads, thighs – and the, your forefoot or the pad of your foot gets stressed because that's what gets stressed on the mound when we're pitching, and that's what we want to make impenetrable. We want to maximize the strength there and teach it that it's okay to explode at this rate, that it's okay to have this kind of a quick twitch action going on. Um, and so those kind of things, box jumps, you know, um, pretty much common sense, things that are explosions, vertical explosions, because the, the number one factor in velo, they, they've – in all the tests in the last three or four years, these companies, Driveline or um, Jamie Evans with v, uh, Velocity Care, they found out that the biggest uh, factor in velocity, the ratio, is ratio of how hard your front foot lands to your velocity. So your front foot hits that pad like you get up and you stride out and you bang down on that pad. That, tor- that force that pushes back up through your leg is the best indicator of how hard you're going to throw and if you're increasing your velocity or not. If that is lower than the average, then they can, then we will work on making sure you're getting down, putting force to that foot. It's very similar in hitting. You want to get that foot down firm so we can get light on the backside and spin. Well, with pitching, you everything to get that power, and then you stride out. And when that foot lands, it needs to land firm so that we can lock in that kinetic chain that we sent out towards the plate Bam, foot hits, and then it goes back up through the body and it comes out like a whip in the kinetic chain through your fingertips. So your front your front leg yeah. is the most important. That that's that when they measure to find out the relationship of velocity and force points. It isn't like they have sensors on people's um glutes, thighs, uh calves, bottom of the foot, shoulder, and the place that had the had the most force acted was where the foot hit on the pad and then the muscles leading back up the back towards the back. Those are the ones that lit up and glowed the most, which is new. Like to most people, that's a new concept, but the science is out there. I encourage you to read hashtag CBC black. I got a lot of articles up that are baseball, very in-depth, complex things. So, um, but yeah, that's a strange factor, but that's, we work on that as well. I never, I never thought your front leg was was that big of a deal. Me either, but you know, you got to keep learning, man. It's not if yeah. you stick and just think that it, whatever happened in the '90s was good, then you're late. If you think whatever happened in the 2000s, 2010s is still happening, you're late. Yeah, I mean, it's evolving, and with all these measurables and the tools to do the measuring, um, 
You got to stay with it. Do you think that's why there's been such an epidemic of Tommy John surgeries is because people aren't training correctly? Yeah. I think they learn how to increase their arm speed, but they don't learn how to strengthen their D cells. That's my personal opinion. And that's a generalization, but typically that's where the injuries are occurring. Okay. Um, When it comes to mechanics for high school pitchers, what should they like? Who should they be watching specifically? Like, should there be, I'll be watching a particular pitcher or like you were saying earlier, mirror work? Um, Well, I mean, number one, you should see a professional to get you in. Even if you go once for an evaluation and they tell you three things that are good, bad, whatever about your windup, see someone who knows what it looks like. Um, It's like when, if you go bird hunting with a, with someone who has ever been, they see these things you'll never see until they point it to you. And you're like, Oh, that's a beautiful little finch up there, but you would have never seen it. So my eyes, professional instructor eyes erase all the extra and we just see the mechanics. So seeing a professional is the first step. Now, if you're good enough to hear and understand all that and then go do your mirror work or say, you know, that's a lot like Clayton Kershaw and go watch him on film, more power to you. That is what you should be doing. But you need to find like a remote mentor, in my opinion. Or if you're lucky enough to have someone in your life, use them as a resource, as a mentor. Um, That, I think, is the biggest key for young players is that they think, hey, I'm too cool. I don't need, you know, to ask anybody. I look dumb. I'm whatever. Find a remote mentor or someone in your life that can mentor you in whatever pursuit. This one being pitching or baseball. But find that. I think it's so key. Funny you say that because Kyle Hart was just on and he literally just said, you know, talking to you and you, you know, gave you so much credit for helping him throughout his career when he was oh. struggling a lot. In Thanks, Indiana. Hart. Yeah. So that that's pretty cool that you brought up, you know, the, the mentor because uh, that's that's you're exactly who he brought up. Um, in, it's crazy. Yeah. In his interview. Um, when is that one? When do I get to hear that one? Uh, tomorrow. Tuesday? Yeah, Tuesday. Okay. Oh. Yeah, tomorrow. Um, one last question. If you could face... One hitter, ninth inning, two outs, World Series game seven. Who are you gonna? Who you, and don't you can't pick. You can't pick me, or like some of the pitcher coming up there. So, who, who, where do you want to stick to? Current major leaguers or World Series players? Um, I would. I would. I mean, yeah, I would say like current major leaguers. Like, who would you want to face up there to strike out? Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge. Yep. Why him? Um. You're talking about when I have my good stuff, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because I see how he goes against the slider. I'm going to brush him up and in his face, make him think about it, and then I'm going to slide him away, power sliders, sweepers the rest of the time. He can't lay off. Game over. Game over. Take a seat for your 900 strikeout. Call <laughs> <laughs> <Throw> my <him a> chair. <laughs> Coach, appreciate you coming on today. Um, we'll make sure to, to get this up and running, and then everyone make sure you go to earsfirst.com. Right, that's right, earsfirst.com. Thanks. Um, check E1? that out. E1 for sure. And um, again, appreciate you stopping by today. All right. Thanks a lot, Pat.